What's up, guys? Welcome to the fifth episode of the Off the Bench podcast. Guys, we got a really good episode for you guys today. It does not matter what you are a special fan of. We got all three of the major sports. We're going to be talking some playoff baseball. We're going to be talking some NBA as they move into the finals, which starts tonight. And then we're going to be talking some NFL post-week three action. Guys, this is going to be an awesome episode. Stay strapped in, stay in gear because we have a really good one today. We have another special guest on today. Special shout out to our last guest who was Cole. Before that, we had Christian and then we had Jeff on the second week. So guys, we've had some really good guests so far. I think that trend is going to continue because today we have Marcelo Sanchez on the pod with us today. Guys, Marcelo has been a friend of mine ever since second grade when we met. I hardly can remember a time where my good friend was not Marcelo Sanchez. So guys, it is awesome to have him on today, and I'm really, really excited. Guys, stay strapped in because we got a really high-quality episode for you guys today. Let's get started. To evaluate quarterbacks in the NFL, some people like to take away the outlier seasons and I I actually like this idea I'm a fan I listen to Colin Coward sometimes he talks about this you take away a quarterback's best season and you take away their worst season 10-year career take away their best season and their worst season with the remaining eight seasons what are they and this can help you a lot if you're a team and you're paying your quarterback and you want to know what to pay This works really well on a couple of guys. Take Joe Flacco, for example. Take away his worst season, probably his rookie season. And take away his best season, probably the Super Bowl winning season. And what is he? Okay, he's kind of mediocre at best. But they paid him a bunch of money, kind of handicapped the organization for a few years. And they got rid of him and they got way better. Okay, Matt Ryan's another one. Take away his worst year, probably his rookie year. Take away his best year, probably the year they went to the Super Bowl and he was lighting everybody up. And what is he? He's a slightly above average quarterback. Okay, so that's why I like it. It it gives you just a better basis of who the guy is. So I was kind of thinking, could you do, could could you apply the same concept with organizations? And not even the same sport. I'm not talking NFL here in this segment. I'm talking about baseball. Can you do the same thing to a baseball team? As far as their history goes with their organization, take away this team's best three-year stretch and take away this team's worst three-year stretch. What are they? And you, you can apply this to some different teams. Go ahead and apply this rule to the Yankees. Okay, take away their worst three-year stretch and their best three-year stretch. And they're still the best organization in all of baseball, and it's not close. Okay, you can do this with the Mariners. Okay, their best three-year stretch was probably 99 through 01, maybe something like that. And take away their worst three-year stretch, and what are they? They're a terrible baseball team. Throughout their 40-year history. Okay, guys, it gives you some perspective when you do that. So I thought about it. And what happens if you apply the same rule to the Houston Astros? Okay, we all know about the Houston Astros. Got caught cheating in the playoffs for who knows how long. Made me very angry as a fan Guys, I was a borderline an Astros fan for a little bit. Not really a fan, but I appreciated what they did. Because I was thinking, I'm a Mariners fan. And I was thinking the Astros have been so bad for so long. They built it from the ground up. And all of a sudden, they're this great team. Winning series, um, making it deep into the postseason, won a World Series. And I'm sitting here as a Mariners fan, and I'm thinking, maybe the Mariners could do that. 
The Mariners have been terrible forever, but maybe there's hope. Look at the Houston Astros. Look at what they did. But then when you find out that they cheated their way to it, it just, it leaves you feeling empty. And you got to feel bad for the Yankees. You got to feel bad for the Dodgers. You got to feel bad for the other teams they played in the postseason the past few years. A lot of players only have one crack at this in their lifetime. Only one shot. If you're lucky, you get multiple chances, but for the most part, you're pretty stinking lucky even if you get one shot to win a title. Okay, and the Astros cheated. They took away that chance from all the teams that they played, all the players that they played. It's one thing to lose. As an athlete, you can handle losing. Losing sucks, but you can handle it. We got beat. The other team's better. Time to go back to work and get better or shut up about it. Okay, that's how athletes think. That's how athletes process losing. It happens, you got beat, go back to the drawing board and get better so you can whoop their butts next time. Okay, but when you when you lose because the other team cheated, it I can't even imagine. That's never happened to me before, but they got to just be sitting there like they weren't even the better team. So back to my point here. Okay, guys, so I know we say take away the best three years, and that's the rule. Take away the worst three, take away the best three. But for Houston, I'm going to change the verbiage a little bit. I'm going to say take away the cheating because that's what they've done the past three years. They've been cheating. Okay, so for Houston, it is take away their worst three years and take away their cheating. Okay, that's what it is. Carlos Correa, take away the cheating, batting average 264. George Springer, take away the cheating, batting average 265. This is my favorite. Jose Altuve, take away the cheating, batting average 219. 19 points above the Mendoza line. The 2020 Houston Astros, take away the cheating. What are they? 29 and 31. Two games below 500. All right, guys. So I grew up with siblings. I got two siblings, a brother and a sister. We're all three and a half years apart. Okay. Not, I, I mean, all three of us are in this three and a half year window. We're not all separated by that length. All three of us in three and a half years. And so when you're close in age like that, you're going to fight. You're going to argue. That's, that's what happens. Okay, and I learned this from a young age. I learned that I would get two answers out of my parents, both my mom or my dad. doesn't matter. Grandma, grandpa. If I was mad at my brother or sister, we got in an argument in a fight, whatever it is. I go to my parents. They will tell me one of two things. They will tell me, don't tattle on your brother or sister, or what they'll tell me is, let me hear your side of the story, then let me hear their side of the story. Okay, because you're not going to just believe, you know, some kid who just tells you, you know, Shane took my toy or whatever it is. Okay. Two sides to every story. And you kind of, you learn this from a young age. I'm not crazy. You have siblings. You learn it when you're young. If you don't have siblings, you go to school and you learn it at school. All right, it happens pretty fast. But uh, we see this in sports a lot. And a, a prime example of we as fans and the media getting this right is the situation with Antonio Brown. So this first came out. I was really confused, kind of hesitated for a little bit. All of a sudden, there's beef with Antonio Brown and uh, the Steelers organization. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, I've never heard anything about Antonio Brown going off the rails before. What's going on here? And I've also never really seen anything about Pittsburgh going off the rails and having a bad culture and whatnot. And so, but, but then Le'Veon Bell got, kind of got into it the next season. He held out pretty much the whole season. And so I was kind of starting to think this is Pittsburgh. Like they're the problem here. But I wasn't, you know, super, I didn't jump to conclusions. 
So what happens is Antonio Brown goes to the Raiders. We all know what happens there. Got the feet situation, the helmet situation. You know, he posts whatever conversation on Instagram or Twitter. It's, it's you know, it's a dumpster fire with Antonio Brown. And we all kind of learned pretty quick that it wasn't really the Steelers. And it was definitely Antonio Brown who was the bad egg. It wasn't, you know, he's a good egg and he's just in a bad spot and Pittsburgh's not really, you know, setting him up for success here. It was completely that Antonio Brown was off the rails and making extremely poor choices and he was being an extremely poor teammate. And so that was pretty clear if you just paid any attention at all. But you still, time time had to tell, right? This wasn't obvious right away. I was sitting there going, well, I mean, maybe it's the Steelers. El Bell doesn't really get along with anybody there. He held out. So, I mean, maybe they are treating Big Ben like he's royalty and, you know, some of their other superstars not as well. So that was that was my thinking. But like I said, I didn't jump to conclusions. You got to see how this thing plays out. And uh, where are the Steelers without Antonio Brown? Last year, they almost made the playoffs with like an eighth string QB because they all got hurt. So that's pretty impressive. And this season, they're 3-0. So, I mean, obviously, they made the right choice moving off Antonio Brown. He was, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the guys they call a bad character guy. We kind of do this sometimes where we get it right, but we we do get it wrong sometimes. And we owe a certain somebody an apology. And it's in a different sport, but it's the same concept. We played this guy as a bad character guy, bad teammate, all this, all that, bad for culture. Got to get him out. NBA player. Do you guys know who that NBA player is? That player is Jimmy Butler. For multiple seasons now, we've been painting Jimmy Butler as a bad teammate, uh, a bad culture guy, doesn't get along with other players well, doesn't translate to winning. And um, guys, that's a problem because we were wrong. I don't know where we got this, but uh, he was a cancer in the organization. I I saw that headline. He was uh, no good. For these other teammates. He didn't help you win. Even though he's a superstar. He was labeled as one of those guys. For a long time. Multiple seasons. With the Chicago Bulls. Who really. That's a kind of a dumpster fire of an organization. Take away Michael Jordan from them. And what are they? Just a mess for like 40 years. Okay then. He went to the T-Wolves. And he's supposed to pull them through you know, through the fire and make something out of the Timberwolves. They've been irrelevant for my entire life and probably will be for the rest of my life. Okay, that's the T-Wolves for you. Couldn't win there, and he was a bad teammate apparently, and he's a cancer in the locker room. Let's see, where did he go then? He went to Philadelphia, and he was kind of, he was labeled again. He's a cancer. He's a guy who can't help you win. He's a bad teammate. And um, he got shipped out of town. He was a free agent. They didn't want him back. And um, Philadelphia was the most talented team in the league. And they underachieved. And a lot of it was blamed on Jimmy Butler. It wasn't on Joel Embiid. It wasn't on Ben Simmons. It wasn't on J.J. Redick. It was not on Tobias Harris. Gosh, that team was so talented last year. They really were. Probably the most talented team in the NBA. That includes the Warriors. Dude, they had all-stars on that team. But they couldn't get past the second round. And it was kind of... Jimmy was sort of the fall guy. Even though they had underachieved um, before that point, And they underachieved again after Jimmy left. Didn't even make it out of the first round. Got swept, I'm pretty sure, by Boston. So that's what we did. We labeled Jimmy Butler a bad teammate. I don't really know for what reason. We just do this sometimes. We just label a guy a cancer. I don't know why. Somebody's got to be the fall guy on these 
really good teams, especially in the NBA, there's always a fall guy. If your team's talented and you didn't succeed, you got to have a fall guy. That's what happens. Okay, this year for the Clippers, it's Paul George. All right, last year for the Bucks, it wasn't Giannis. It was Chris Middleton. He was the fall guy. Okay, and that's what it was for the Sixers. Jimmy Butler was the fall guy. Okay, I don't know why, but that's just how they did it. You know who the fall guy should be? Should be Tobias Harris. Should be Joel Embiid. Should be Ben Simmons. They keep underachieving. Ultra-talented team. Can't get past the first round. No good. But here we go. Jimmy Butler goes to the Heat. And he's a bad character guy. And he's this and he's that. And, you know, he doesn't doesn't help you win games. And he takes a, a young, young roster. Duncan Robinson, young player. Tyler Harrow, freshman. Excuse me, rookie, not freshman. Um, Bam out of bio, either first or second year in the league. And it's like, these guys are, are young and they're talented, but they're inexperienced. And you mix that with a bad character guy, a bad leader, and they might not even make the playoffs. But Jimmy Butler gets this team in gear. He gets this team going and he's an amazing teammate. And um, I don't know if you guys heard that tape of Tyler Harrow. Tyler Hero, after he dropped 37 in game, you know, three, game four, or whatever it was. Guess what he said after the game? He carried the team to a win. Jimmy Butler didn't play that great. He said he, he gave a ton of the credit to Jimmy Butler. He said, that's my guy. He said, he's helped me grow so much. He said he's been a great leader for our team. I owe a lot of this performance to Jimmy Butler. Does that sound like a bad teammate? Does that sound like a bad leader? Does that sound like a cancer in the locker room? I don't know. It doesn't really sound like it to me. So guys, I guess my point is time will always tell who is the bad egg. Okay, in the Antonio Brown, Pittsburgh Steelers situation... It was tough to tell at the time, for me anyway. I thought it could have been Pittsburgh, because L. Bell just had issues with them. Okay, but you have to relax as the audience, as the media. You have to sit back and wait. Because time will tell you who was the bad egg. Is it Antonio Brown, or is it the Pittsburgh Steelers? Time told us. It was clearly Antonio Brown. He was the bad egg. And with the Jimmy Butler situation, same thing. All of a sudden, I'm I'm sitting here, I'm going, gosh, Jimmy Butler apparently can't get along with anybody. Not on the Bulls, the T-Wolves, the Sixers. Three organizations. And I'm not hearing much positivity out of any of them, really. But guys, we need to be more patient. We need to sit back and listen and observe. Because time, again, made a fool out of us. Time proved, again, that we were wrong. It wasn't Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler was not the bad egg. You know who the bad egg was? The Sixers, who constantly underachieve. The T-Wolves, who have been irrelevant for my entire lifetime, and will continue to be. And the Bulls, who, outside of Jordan have been awful for 40 years. Those are the bad eggs. Jimmy Butler? Just listen to Tyler Harrow's press conference. Not a bad egg. All right, guys. Last week, I did a little segment. um, 2-0 and 0-2. Am I surprised or am I not surprised? And guys, I was kind of thinking, I I said I was going to do maybe the same thing this week. But I'm going to switch it up a little bit, change the rules ever so slightly. Because at this point, I feel like if your team's 3-0, and you're, you're probably pretty good. And if your team is 0-3, then you're probably pretty bad. So, I mean, I kind of just, I decided that I'm not going to do it that way. And I'm going to change it up. So, in this segment here, I'm going to discuss if your team's 3-0 and or some 2-1 and teams... 
are you a legitimate Super Bowl contender? And vice versa, if your team is 0-3, do you have a legitimate chance at a top three pick in the NFL draft? And guys, that's the that's the good thing about being bad, is you at least get a top pick in the draft. Um, you suffered the whole season as a fan, but you can look forward to the future, and maybe your team drafts some really good players. So that's nice. That's the nice thing about the draft. And then if, you, if your team's mediocre, probably going to finish you know, around eight and eight or something like that. I'm not going to talk about them because that's not what this segment is about. Frankly, being mediocre is, is boring to me because you don't win and you also don't get a good pick in the draft. So it's like, you know, what are you doing? I'd rather my team be bad than mediocre because then at least you can look forward to the future instead of just more mediocrity. Okay, guys. So uh, one 3-0 and team, I'm starting the a- in the AFC. 3-0 and team is the Buffalo Bills. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but they're actually a Super Bowl contender. And I wouldn't pick them to represent the AFC or anything because I think the two teams playing tonight, recording this Monday afternoon, by the way, um, the two teams playing tonight, Baltimore and the Chiefs, are the two best teams in the AFC. Maybe two best teams in football. So I think one of them's going to make it to the Super Bowl. I think Baltimore is, really. But, um, yeah, I think that the Buffalo Bills do have an actual chance to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. I think their defense is really good. They've struggled to stop the run so far, but, I mean, hopefully they can cheer that up. And then at quarterback, Josh Allen's getting better and better. He's he's pretty decent, actually. The kid makes some plays, and, you know, I watched him play the Rams yesterday, and he looks halfway decent. Okay, same division, 0-3 is the New York Jets. Guys, they are terrible. They're 100% getting a top three pick in the NFL draft. Now, my only question with them is, do they pick up a quarterback? Because Donald has been poor, to say the least. Okay, Donald has not been good. And uh, their whole team stinks, so it's tough to say, is it Donald who's, you know, terrible? Or is it just everybody else around him who's terrible? You know, it's tough to say. So that's my only question with them. They are for sure going to get a top three pick. But are they going to take one of those good QBs in college and, you know, send Darnold packing? What I would personally like to see them do is trade away that top three pick that they're going to get and get some more first, second round picks because they just need a ton of players. It's not like they're one piece away from being decent. Okay, they need to fire their head coach and trade some of those picks for more picks so they can get more good players. And it's not going to be a top three player, obviously, if you trade it away, but that's what I would do if I was their GM. They have holes all over the roster. They need to fill them. And then this week, it didn't really look that great either. Okay, the Texans, who are 0-3, they were up big on the Steelers, and the Steelers came back and won that one. Okay, but the Steelers, they're kind of a pretender to me, and they're also in the same division as Baltimore. All right, Tennessee, they're 3-0. They're a pretender as well, guys. Um... And I know what you're thinking. They made the AFC championship game last year. Tannehill's actually playing decent. But, guys, again, I this is actually a tougher division than it may seem like. Houston's probably the best 0-3 team in the NFL. I know that's not some big accomplishment. Jacksonville doesn't look like they're actually trying to tank. Maybe they are, but Gardner Minshew is you know doing all they can to make sure they don't tank. And Indianapolis, it's like... Philip Rivers, there's a lot of questions whether he can win the big game, and I have a lot of questions about that, trust me. But the dude throws for millions of yards every single game. The dude does not throw for a lack of yardage, okay? So, I don't know. Tennessee, they, they got a tougher division, and I am not expecting them to beat Baltimore again in the postseason this year. And we watched the Chiefs demolish them as well in the title game last season. Um, Tennessee is a pretender, if you ask me. And then Houston, they're not getting a top three pick either. Um, Deshaun Watson's too good. Let's see, he's going he's gonna to will them to, I'm guessing, at least five or six wins at worst. Um, and I know this team's got a lack of talent in some different areas. There's no question about that. But I, I highly doubt they pick top three. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they pick in that 10 to 15 range. I kind of expect them to, to rattle off some wins here in the next 13 weeks at least six or seven of them is my guess 
Um, let's see, AFC West, the Chiefs, obviously they're a Super Bowl contender, um, don't need to spend too much time on them, they haven't looked great so far this season, and I think they're gonna lose tonight, but, I mean, come on, it's Pat Mahomes, it's Andy Reid, they, of course, have a chance to win another Super Bowl. Uh, Denver is 0-3, I think they have a legitimate chance to get a top three pick in the NFL draft. Denver is awful, their quarterback's hurt, uh, Von Miller got hurt to start the season, and I know this was, you know, a lot of teams' pick to sort of make a splash and come out of nowhere and make the postseason this year. It's not going to happen. They are far more likely to draft in the top five than they are to make the postseason. But uh, I think they do have a legitimate shot to get a top three pick. And if they do, I would, I mean, I would probably draft a quarterback, one of those three guys that, you know, all the people really like. Okay, moving over to the AFC North, we got the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, guys, I don't think they're a legitimate contender. They're 3-0, and but um, it's looked kind of ugly at times. They barely beat, who was it, the Broncos last week on their backup QB. The Broncos are awful. Maybe they stick with Locke, who knows. You could go with an unknown, or you could go with a really, really good prospect. So, I'd probably go with this prospect, honestly. Okay, moving over to the NFC. We have, oh, this is the worst division in football, guys, and it's not even close. Um, they're combined, let's see, there's so many losses. Let me count this quick. Two, four, six, nine. They're two, nine, and one. Um, that's completely terrible. The worst division in football. Um, Washington, um, yeah, I mean, they're leading the division, they are far closer to a, a top five pick than they are to making the postseason. And yet they're, you know, tied for first place. So who knows? This division is absolutely insane. But um, they're, of course, not a Super Bowl contender. And I'd say they are close to a top three pick, but yet they're leading their division. So I feel weird saying that. Um, Dallas, they are completely not a Super Bowl contender. Um I hate talking about Dallas, so I'm not going to talk about them. They're just annoying. Philadelphia, they got to figure some things out. I expected this team to make the postseason this year, and they're awful. So I don't want to talk about them either. I just get tired talking about the, the NFC East, guys. It's just one of those divisions. Everybody wants to talk about them because of these storied franchises. you got America's team and the Philadelphia Eagles and the New York Giants the New York football giants, but they're awful. Okay, so I get it. Everybody wants to talk about this division, but it's just annoying, and so I'm over it. Um, yeah, but the Giants, they should definitely draft top three. I'd say them and the Jets, like I said earlier, they have a reservation already booked. So, yeah, table for two there in the top three, for sure. Uh, Green Bay, they are for sure a Super Bowl contender. Um, this team looks really good. Right now, they're actually my favorite to come out of the NFC. And as a Seahawks fan, I really hate to say that, but um, the Seahawks' defense doesn't look very good. And to be quite frank, um, I don't know how they're going to fix that. So right now, Green Bay is probably my Super Bowl favorite. Um, and uh, yeah, they for sure can win a Super Bowl. Uh, A-Rodge is playing at an MVP level. And he's proven that he's that dude. And uh, it's pretty disrespectful to draft Jordan Love when they could have actually used a draft pick to make their team better instead of draft a third-string quarterback. So, yeah, there's that. Chicago is 3-0, too. Um, you know what, guys? Um, this, this is a tough one because you do have teams that um, kind of just really play good defense and have a good running game and are just so-so at quarterback, and they can they can win Super Bowls. We've seen it before, guys. We've seen it before. The 2018 Patriots did that, in my opinion. Tom Brady was kind of washed, and they had the best defense in football and a high-quality running game, and they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. And then you saw it in 2015, too, with, um, who was it, Denver? They had the best defense in football and a stout running game, and Peyton Manning was washed, and he wasn't very good, and they won a Super Bowl. So um, I'm going to say that they can win a Super Bowl. I think it's very unlikely. Out of all the teams that I'm giving you know, a Super Bowl contender stamp to in this little segment here, I think Chicago is the least likely to actually get it done. 
But uh, Nick Foles has proven that he can do it before. Their defense is still pretty dang good. But um, yeah, guys, they've played three teams who are pretty bad so far. And they're 3-0. But you can't control who's on your schedule, and all you can do is win ballgames. So there's that. Minnesota is 0-3, and they absolutely have a chance to draft in the top three. Minnesota is awful. They had a big lead over Tennessee this past Sunday, and they choked it away. Um, yeah, I don't know how, guys. I really I thought this was going to be a playoff team at the start of the season. I know they had some turnover on their defense, some new guys in there. Um, but as soon as they, they traded for that Jaguars uh, D-tackle or D-end, Ngakwe, I think, uh, that's when I was like, oh, yeah, they're they're in. I thought for sure that they were in on this season, that they're a winning franchise looking to make moves. But um, obviously that has not worked out. Kirk Cousins is, you know, kind of a fake, kind of a little bit of a fraud. Uh, somehow they can't really run the ball as successfully as they have been. And uh, their defense, which has been good in the past, is completely terrible. So they for sure have a chance at the top three pick. Um, you know, I, I'd say they have, in my opinion, they're tied for the third best chance behind the two New York teams. You can give it to Minnesota. You could give it to Denver, maybe a couple other teams who have a real shot at that final third spot. Tampa Bay um, is 2-1. and one. Guys, I'm going to say, look, I feel bad because the first, I think it was episode two, maybe episode three, I, you know, I called Brady a fraud. I still believe he's a fraud, um, but this team is, is actually a Super Bowl contender, and I, I think, like I kind of made the case with Chicago, you can win a Super Bowl with a really good defense and a good running game, and just being mediocre at quarterback. You can do it. You can do it. Okay, like we talked about, Denver did it in 2015, the Patriots did it in 2018, and Tampa can potentially do it here. It also helps that their division was supposed to be stout, okay, but New Orleans um, doesn't really look like everybody kind of thought they would. Uh, Carolina also looks terrible, and the Falcons are the Falcons. So everybody thought this division was going to be pretty good, but they're actually mediocre at best, okay, and this is Tampa Bay's division to lose, unfortunately. Um, Atlanta, they're 0-3. Do they have a shot of the top three pick? I, I, I don't think they do. Um, I think they have a shot at maybe top six pick. But Atlanta is just one of those teams. Guys, they're not going to blow a 15-point fourth quarter league every single week. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they just continue to do that. They need to fire Dan Quinn immediately, by the way. I feel bad for my old roommate, Sean. My good friend, he's an Atlanta Falcons fan, and he's just got to suffer through this, and that sucks. But uh, Atlanta, they're, they're too good to be drafting in the top three, and they just need to fire their coach already. Okay, the NFC West, is they're the best division in football. Unfortunately, the Seahawks are in it. They're my favorite team. Obviously, you don't want your favorite team to be in the best division because then they just kind of beat up on each other, and it's hard to win when you're in the best division. Um, they're uh, combined, let's see, too many wins in the column here, three, five, seven, nine. They're nine and three, guys, and one of those losses is in division. Arizona beat San Francisco. Okay, another one, um, the Rams barely lost. They lost by like three points to the Bills, who are a dang good team. And Arizona lost, um, you know, Kyler Murray played terrible, and they only lost by like three points to the uh, Lions. So this is easily the best division in football. Uh, Seattle is certainly a Super Bowl contender. I don't think that they're going to win it, however, because their defense is completely terrible. So I don't see them winning it. You can have a really good defense and a good running game and a so-so offense and win the Super Bowl. Like I said with those other examples, we've seen it. But it's really hard to win the Super Bowl when you have a terrible defense and a high-powered offense. It doesn't really happen very often. We haven't seen it too many times before. Um, and I don't know how Seattle is going to try and patch that thing up, but they're going to try. They've had a lot of injuries, and it's not looking promising on the defensive end. But still, Russell Wilson's the best player in the NFL, and they do have a shot to win it all. Um, 
And let's see, the last place in their division, they're all tied at 2-1. and one. So none of those teams have any sort of shot to pick in the top five. So there we go. Now, Baltimore's not 3-0, of course. They play tonight. I think they're going to be 3-0. I, th- I expect them to win tonight. But they are, of course, a legitimate Super Bowl contender. You guys heard me talk about it last week. I still believe it. They are um, extremely talented and extremely hungry. Like I said, that's, that's a nasty combination. Um, you don't you don't really want to run into Baltimore if you ask me. They're my pick to win the Super Bowl. Okay, Cincinnati. They're zero and three. And guys, I'm actually gonna say no. I do not think that they have a chance to get a top three pick. And it sounds crazy because they're terrible. But Joe Burrow is is too good to let this team get a top three pick. They might get a top five pick. Um, they're definitely gonna be top ten. But I don't think they're going to be a top three pick because you have the Giants who are, oh my gosh, awful. Uh, The Jets, who I spoke on earlier, who are also awful. Denver looks completely terrible. I I just think there's some 0-3 teams who are, you know, worse than Cincinnati. And I said they were 0-3, my bad. They're actually 0-2-1. So that just proves it right there. All right, guys, so we're at the uh, interview portion of the podcast today. I'm super excited. I got Marcelo Sanchez on today. Marcelo has been a longtime friend of mine. We met when we were in elementary school, and uh, in second grade, we became really good friends, and uh, we kind of just took off from there and been good friends ever since. Um, so I'm super happy to have Marcelo on. He's just a longtime sports fan, really knowledgeable in, in just about everything, Um yeah, so Mar- Marcel, how's it going today? What up? How's it going? Yeah, and guys, just a reminder: we're we're FaceTiming Marcelo in, so audio quality isn't one hundred percent, but we're doing what we can, and and we think it's worth it today. Some good content for you. So, Marcel, you played uh, you played NAI football. Is that is that right? for the Jamestown Jimmies. Jamestown, North Dakota. And uh, tell me yeah. a little bit what what position and like how did how did your four years go and stuff, man. Uh, so in high school, I actually played O line, and then once I got to Jamestown, they moved me to defensive line, and from there, uh, played all four years, never got redshirted. And my senior year, I was actually a captain. So my four years here went pretty well. The team, my, our uh, our team success wasn't too great all the time. Not a lot of winning seasons, but I still had fun with it as much as I could. It was a good opportunity to come out here to the Midwest and play ball. Yeah, man, I'm I, I'm super happy for you, Mar- guys. Marcel is a guy who just he wants to play ball. He doesn't care when or where. He doesn't care what level it is. Um, NAI D one, you know what, whatever. Marcelo just he's a football guy through and through, and he just wanted to play ball. And he got a chance at Jamestown, and certainly made the most of it. Team captain, uh, four year. I I don't think four year starter. Maybe did you start freshman year or? I just rotated in freshman year, and then I started the next three years. Okay, yeah, but I mean, certainly got a, just a ton of playing time throughout his time. So, I mean, just a successful uh, college football career. So, that's awesome. Played nose guard, right? Yeah. Yep, that's Mark. He plugging up them holes up there. You ain't running up the middle with Mark in there. Mm. Nope. 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 Not possible. Man. Not today. Okay, so Mark, let's get started with some uh, MLB. I'm I'm super psyched to have uh, playoff baseball back. Playoff baseball is intense. It is fun. There's just an element to the game that that is different when you get to the playoffs. Obviously, and it, the intensity just ramps up. And playoff baseball is just a ton of fun. So, Marcel, you're a big Yankees fan, right? Yep, been yep. a Yankees fan my whole life. Yep. So, talk to me. What what do the Yankees kind of got to do to to move on in this first round series? Well, the uh, they started off pretty hot. I think they were what sixteen and six in the first twenty two games, and then after that, they just had a huge skid because of uh, injuries to the big name guys like Aaron Judge and DJ LeMahieu, Gleyber Torres, and Stanton. That's their top four hitters, so they were all hurt. They they had a huge skid, um, and they just couldn't beat the Rays in the AL East. The Rays were, I think, eight and two against them for the year. And so, I mean, they got everyone back now, and they have Garrett Cole pitching good and uh, Masahiro Tanaka pitching good also. So they are, they're ready for a good push in the playoffs, but the, the regular season didn't go that as well as they uh, wanted it to. 
for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. With 60 games, it, it's tough when you have a, just kind of a stretch where all your players are injured. You're going to end up with a record that might not um, – might not be the reality to how good of a team they actually are, but I mean, it's they're healthy now, like you said, and I think they're ready to make a push. Oh yeah, uh, if I mean they have Cleveland off the bat, so that's going to be a tough one facing uh, Shane Bieber, and then and uh, I think they have a pretty good bullpen also. But I mean, the Yanks bullpen has been playing pretty bad. That's that's their main weakness. But if they get that cleaned up and their offense hits like they can with Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge and all of them. Uh, I think if they beat Cleveland, they have a pretty good shot because they just have to beat the Rays to get to the World Series after that. I don't think anyone else can play with them besides the Rays. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's And it's weird because with this, like, three-game series to, to get us kicked off here, you know, you could see a team like the Rays or the Dodgers um, losing a three-game series even though they've been the best two teams all season long. So it's like you know, what's going to happen in this short three-game series right off the bat. And so I, I give I give a huge advantage to a team like the Yankees, who is just, they're a storied franchise. They have veterans on the squad who have been to the postseason before. And, I mean, I give them a really good shot, to be honest, in, in a short series moving forward. So that'll be fun. Um, and then, Marcelo, do you have, do you have some other uh, kind of matchups, like maybe some dark horse teams that – that are kind of underdogs in these series that you kind of think can make a playoff push? Oh, yeah. I have, I have the Braves actually uh, playing L.A. for the uh, NL pennant. I think they can make a really good push with Acuna and that lineup that they have. Their pitching's a little bit off, but that three-game series, I think, will help them out a lot. I mean, they're, they're just hot right now. Whatever team stays hot is just gonna is gonna make a good push, just like the Heat in the NBA playoffs. Whoever's hot is just gonna is gonna make a push. There's no home field advantage. There's no fans. There's nothing. It's, it's just baseball. So I think the Braves could actually make a pretty good push. They have the Reds right off the bat. The Reds have really good pitching, but their offense has kind of lacked a little bit. So if if the Braves can just out hit them, I think they can escape out of that. It's kind of the year of the underdog, I think. If there's any underdog to win a World Series this year, it'll be this year. Because even the Brewers, are they're playing the Dodgers in round one, and I think they have a good shot at beating the Dodgers. Even though the Dodgers are for sure the best team in the MLB, it, it's just such a weird season, and you don't know how it's going, and the Brewers are playing pretty good ball right now. So, I mean, it could go any way. If, but if there's any team that I would pick to make a good run, a dark horse team would be the Braves out of the NL. Um, I, I talked about the Houston Astros a little bit, and I'm I'm kind of mad to be honest, because they have a losing record, and and in any other year they would not have a shot to make the postseason. But with this crazy season that the MLB has put together, and having eight playoff teams make it in each league, here we have the Houston Astros, who are two games under 500, making the postseason. Um, Kind of, what are your thoughts on on the Astros, Marcelo? And do you give them any sort of shot to win the series or or make a playoff push in general here? Oh no, I I don't think they're a team that stumbled in off of the rules. They have, what was it? The top two teams from each division. They yeah, made it, and they play in the AL West for sure. So I mean, they the A's played good ball this year, but and Astros just got lucky that the Rangers and the Mariners. I mean didn't play good ball at all. So they just got lucky in the 60-game series, or in the 60-game season, that uh, the Mariners and Rangers didn't have a good year. I think they stumbled their way in, pretty much, and I'm pretty sure the Twins will take care of them in in this three-game set. They have no shot. Altuve, uh, Correa, and all of them, they just did not play good. I mean, it's hard to hit a ball when you don't know what's coming. So (laughs) they're definitely getting karma for it, and I hope the Twins just... Put it to that, that's what I'm saying. And I think another thing is, too, these teams that are, are going to be playing the Astros and it's the Twins this round, if they happen to move on, who you know, whoever it's going to be next round, they're looking at the Astros. And that's a little bit more fuel to the fire is they're playing the Astros who have cheated for the past several postseasons. And so they are put like just aiming to to destroy the Astros and they want them nowhere near the postseason. Um, 
for the foreseeable future. So yeah, I mean, that's good. That's good to hear your thoughts. I, I certainly hope that they do not move on to the next round. I, I do not think they are deserving two games below 500, making it to the postseason. They, they lucked out in my eyes. Yeah, so just kind of moving over to the uh, to the NBA. I, I mean, the hot news of, I guess, it, technically it was yesterday, I think, but what do you think about Doc Rivers getting fired? Uh, technically, they, they just went their separate ways is what the report is, but I, I think the writing on the wall is that Doc Rivers was fired by the Clippers. I think, I think he just got most of the blame for the collapse of that series because it's happened to him before. Since it's happened to him before multiple times, you can kind of, he's kind of the underlying factor. He's the denominator in each, each collapse of the 3-1 series lead and then losing it. But at the same time, I don't think Kawhi and Paul George got enough of the hate from that. Where yeah. Doc River took most of that to, I mean, they, they placed the blame on him mostly when Kawhi and Paul George did not play good basketball that whole series. Yeah, yeah, it kind of seems like basketball. I should say mm-hmm. it kind of seems like Doc was sort of the fall guy in that Clippers situation when it was like Paul George clearly underachieved, and then if you look at Kawhi Leonard's second half numbers of of that entire series, and especially the last three four games when they choked it away, Kawhi was a poor player. At best, he he was very, very poor in the second half of those games. In the fourth quarters, he was inefficient, almost non-existent. And it's like Kawhi gets none of the blame, and then Paul George gets a, a little bit of the blame, and it's like Doc Rivers is the fall guy, and I, I don't get it. I think, you know, I have my own thoughts about Doc Rivers on, on whether he's a good coach or not, but at the same time, it's like I think that they – had a lot of shortcomings in other places as well, and it wasn't just Doc Rivers. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Paul, Paul George, um, he's a good basketball player, but at the same time, he's never made a good enough push, even with a supporting cast like Kawhi and all those other guys that they have. And speaking of all the other guys, those – the, who else do they have? Patrick Beverly? Yeah, Pat Bev and uh, Lou Will, and they got Montrez and, you know, a couple other guys off the bench, too, who are quality ball players. Yeah, and those guys just did not play well in that series. They, they, it, was, it was put on Kawhi and Paul George's shoulders, and I think that's part of the reason that it, uh, it collapsed. But, Marcel, I know you're a huge um, Boston Celtics fan. I, I shouldn't say huge, maybe not a huge Boston Celtics fan, but you are a fan. Is that correct? So I grew up uh, a Boston Celtics fan because of Paul Pierce. Uh, he, was my, he was my favorite player growing up, so I kind of piggybacked that onto being a Boston Celtics fan, especially with their success uh, when Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen and Rajon Rondo were all there. But with some of the stuff Paul Pierce has been saying recently, it's kind of hard to be a fan of him anymore. But with how well the Heat are playing right now, I think I think they're just too young and inexperienced at the moment, and don't and and Tatum just isn't the player he needs to be yet. And they just ran into Jimmy Butler playing the best ball of his career, and Hero playing just lights out. I think they just ran into bad luck playing the the Heat and the bubble when they're just so hot it's they've been running through everybody and boston was just another team in the way i think yeah i mean the heat that you were so right about the heat being hot they swept their first series they almost swept the uh number one seed bucks um obviously they went up 3-0 and then the bucks won one before the heat finished them off and then um obviously they had the celtics up they were up 3-1 on the celtics too and so it's like this heat this Heat team is just dynamic right now. Obviously, Jimmy Butler leading the way. You guys heard me talk about Jimmy Butler earlier. And then just with Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, those guys are shooting lights out. And it's like they have a winning formula right now. And so, yeah, I can see that being tough for Boston. And Boston would have had home court if it was a regular season. The Heat just traveling to the Garden, the Boston Garden, to play the Celtics. That's a tough environment to win playoff games. And um, I, I give I give a huge edge to the Celtics if this is a regular season because of that home court. They obviously have a great home court advantage. And so, yeah, I, th- I think you're right, Marcel. Them playing in the bubble like that did not help out the Celtics. 
All right, guys, and then Marcelo, as far as the NFL is concerned, that's obviously his baby, the NFL, and then college football, just being a football guy himself. He's been a huge Bears fan ever since I ever since I met Marcelo. Um, he's been a Bears fan for life. His dad's a Bears fan. His brother's a Bears fan. It, it runs in the family. So three and zero start. You, you got to be feeling decent about the Bears right now, right? I mean, it's it's been oh, rocky yeah. at times, but they're three and zero. You know, people don't want to give us the benefit of the doubt. They came <laughs> back twice. I mean, they're bad teams that we beat. I know that. Every Bears fan knows that in the back of their mind. But at the same time, 3-0, and we had a battle back. I mean, it's just good to see that, that they just still have fight in them after they're, well, they were down 16 to the to the Falcons last week. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm fine with 3-0. I'll take 3-0 all day. I don't care how we get it. So, I mean, I'm on cloud nine right now. And, I mean, we're going to start riding the Foles train now that he's the starter. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about that. So, I mean, Trubisky, it's like if you're a Bears fan and you've been rooting for Trubisky, it, it's got to just feel like empty hope at a, at a certain point. And so when they get rid of Trubisky and bench him and, and throw Foles in, what's going through your mind on that one? So, Trubisky, I was always a fan of Trubisky. I mean, we had a, he was a second our what our first round pick, the number two pick in the whole draft that year, and so I mean I kind of always had hope for him. I'm a big Trubisky guy. I was rooting for him before the season even started, but I think with no preseason, he kind of got the starting job just because of that. He gave him two games and then the first half of the third game. So um, they gave him his time, and I mean we got the wins. But he just didn't play good enough. And Nagy wasn't really throwing the ball down the field enough either. I think that's another thing. They didn't trust Trubisky enough to just let it go. And any time he did, it was he threw it up. And you the whole time, if you're a Bears fan, your stomach just dropped. Because you just saw dude covered. And you're like, please just don't take it off. And that happened to me, what, three times in the Falcons game? And somehow none of them got picked until he threw that one to A-Rob and it got picked out of his hand it was inevitable i think if there was a preseason Foles beats trubisky out they see it in the film they see it in preseason when they're both playing and they see it in practice i think Nagy had in the back of his mind that Foles was going to be the starter by the end of the season no matter what but i don't think we've actually seen the last of trubisky in a bears uniform i think Foles could go down at some point this year so i'm not completely off the trubisky train one thing I'm going to bounce off that you said is it seemed like it was inevitable. What happened first? Well, they paid Foles, what, $20 million or something like that. And it's like you don't pay a guy that much money just to sit on the bench. And then with Trubisky just struggling and struggling, it just seemed like it was just bound to happen eventually. And um, I, I think Matt Nagy's a good coach. I think he did it the right way. Just with Trubisky being a really good guy, they say everybody likes him in the locker room. He's a leader. And so you give you give that guy his chance so you don't lose the locker room because he is a nice guy and he's well-respected. And he doesn't play well enough. And so, you know, that showed. And then you bring in Foles. And I think – I really do think that Nagy played that the right way. I think he's a really good coach, but – I think that is really interesting that you say you don't think that's the last we'll see of Trubisky in a Bears uniform. And I think that is a good point just with Foles' um, injury history and maybe, you know, Foles doesn't play very well down the stretch and so they decide to make a change. Um, who knows? It, it, it's winding up to be very interesting for the Chicago Bears. Let's move it to last night's game, Monday night. And guys, this is funny. I got to own up to this. Earlier in the pod, because I, re I recorded some of the pod yesterday, and I was all up on the Ravens. I said the Ravens are going to beat the Chiefs Monday Night Football, and here we are. We're, we're recording Tuesday afternoon, and I was dead wrong. Uh, the Chiefs kind of throttled the Ravens, and here I am. I, I was thinking, should I edit this part out? But then I was like, no, I just got to own it. I was wrong. I just got to own that one. And so, Mark, give me your thoughts on how how are the Ravens just consistently coming up short against these high quality teams and specifically the Chiefs? Yeah, the Chiefs. I mean, Lamar said in his interview they're their, uh, the Chiefs were their kryptonite, and so um, they the Chiefs played the Ravens just like the Titans played the Ravens last year. They blitz Lamar as much as possible. They shut down the running game and then blitz Lamar, made him make the 
decisions quickly and kept him in the pocket. And that's and that's exactly what you have to do with Lamar to shut him down. Make him throw the ball as much as possible. Don't let him extend the play. And that's exactly what they did. And they gave him no time back there. Every I mean, they were sacking him constantly. I remember what they blitz they blitzed him with like six, and the tackle came down, let a DN through, and it was split second. Uh, Lamar was sacked. And so it's kind of like make Lamar read the defense, tell his own line what to do, who to block, and let him make the mistakes. Let him beat himself. And that's exactly what they what they did. And and the Chiefs just played them so well. Played played to their strengths and the Ravens' weaknesses. And I mean that's exactly what the Titans did to the Ravens last year too. And so I think if you're gonna beat the Ravens, that's how you do it. You have to blitz Lamar and you have to make him make decisions quickly and don't let him extend the play or get out of the pocket because that's where he's that's where he's dangerous they are so dominant against teams that aren't very good but that just does not translate to the teams who are good and like you said it's the formula is kind of out on how you beat the ravens at this point you blitz lamar you maybe get a lead early and you just force these guys out of running the football because that's all they want to do and they're scoring drives that lamar can pass it of course but the run kind of has to set up his passing at this point in his career and so if you can shut down the run, then you can absolutely beat the Ravens, even though they are an extremely talented team. And guys, if you look at the Chiefs, the Chiefs are a team that when they're down 24 to nothing in the play- playoffs against the Texans, the game doesn't feel like it's over. You still feel like, okay, the Chiefs can get their butts in gear and they can still win this game. And when the Chiefs are kind of in a shootout, you still feel like they can win the game. And then when the Chiefs are up, like they were last night, you definitely feel like, okay, the Chiefs can definitely put them away. The lead's not going to melt away like the Falcons or something. And that's just not the case with Baltimore right now. We've pretty much just seen them win one way, and that's if they get a lead early and they can kind of just choke the air out of you. But we haven't really seen them play games down to the wire and be successful that way. And we have definitely have not seen them come from behind. Marcel, how do you change that so you can go from a team who can only win one way to a team that can actually come from behind a little bit or play it close and then win down at the end of the game? Uh, I think that just comes with maturity within the team. I kind of think a lot of it falls on Lamar, I guess. Read the defense better, pick up blitzes better, and get the ball out. And I think once he does once he does that, he's going to turn into a Russell Wilson. Because Russell Wilson's a very smart quarterback. And if Lamar can even play close to what Russell Wilson is playing right now, then I think um, I think that's what pushes him over the edge, gets him back into the Super Bowl. We're at the point, we can't really blame that game on anybody else but Lamar Jackson because we look at their special teams. Special teams was great. I think they scored a touchdown. They returned that kickoff. Their defense was actually decent. For playing Mahomes, they were actually pretty decent, guys. They um, had a couple of turnovers, recovered a fumble, um, had a turnover on downs. And so it's not like their defense was terrible. Their defense still played well, even though Andy Reid was giving them every single look under the sun. And so it's like defense played decent. Special teams played well. At this point, Lamar, we just need you to step up. You're the MVP of the league. We need you to be able to throw the ball and bring us down, bring us back from from being down. And so, I don't know. I put I I'm kind of the same with you. I put a lot on that on Lamar. So, we'll yep. see about that moving forward. Um yeah, you kind of mentioned Russell Wilson. So that's a good segue into the Seahawks. And and my take into the Seahawks is that they are a obviously a high-powered offense. I personally think that um, Russell Wilson is the best player in football, although I do kind of go back and forth with Patrick Mahomes. It's like whoever I see play the last is who I think is the better quarterback. But, um, I mean, the Seahawks are, are a Super Bowl contender, except for their defense just does not look very good. And I, I don't know, Marcel, do you think that the Seahawks are, are a Super Bowl contender and are a threat out of the NFC? And... If not, what what needs to change for them? Oh yeah, well I'm a I'm a huge Seahawks hater, <laughs> but I do but I do think that the Super Bowl goes through Seattle this year. I don't see anyone 
played with them. That Russell Wilson is playing the best football he's played, and that's saying something because he's played some good football before. And so I think, yeah, their defense is definitely. If they don't make the Super Bowl, it will not be on Russell Wilson or that offense. It will be the defense's fault for sure. I think losing Clowney was actually a really big loss to them because they have no pass rush, especially get a pass rush with four or or with linebackers and bring five. They just can't. They just can't play. Um, they can't play football with the safety blitz and every time expect them to get a sack. That's just it seems like losing Clowney at this point does hurt them a lot and you know they offered him a, a big contract he didn't take it he ended up signing for less I'm pretty sure so it's like what do you want the Seahawks to do but at the same yep. time it's like you got to figure out a way to get Clowney back because this this pass rush is pedestrian and um yeah guys I don't know if, if it comes down to playing a team like um the Bucks who can move the ball and have talented pieces on offense or if it comes down to playing Aaron Rodgers who is playing at an MVP level in the NFC or you know if they get through all that and they end up playing a, a team like the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes I can't see this defense stopping a nosebleed let alone one of those um top tier quarterbacks think that they can sure up that defense a little bit um, obviously it's yet to be seen, but it's still early in the season and, uh, we'll see if they can kind of make some changes and, and corral some of those offenses that they're playing. A little spurts of them playing really well together. And so, I mean, they could put something together, but that's definitely the biggest spot for the Seahawks that could lose them the chance at a Super Bowl. Okay. And then Marcella, I know you're a big Cam Newton fan. Um, I, I'm personally a fan of what he's been able to do, sort of just resurrecting his career in a way. He was just a free agent kind of on waivers just forever, and nobody wanted to sign him. Everybody thinks he's washed and he's a distraction and all this and all that. And now he goes to New England. Um, by the eye test, it seems to be working. They're 2-1. and one. They could be 3-0 and oh if they were able to get two yards on that last play against Seattle. So it's like this... This seems to be working for for Cam Newton and the New England Patriots. What are your What do you think about that? I think the rest of the NFL made a huge mistake letting Cam Newton go to Bill Belichick. I mean, you've seen it so far. Bill Belichick has just been using Cam as a weapon in the run game, and he's just turned him into the passer we saw in his MVP season. And especially with just how the Patriots play ball in general, um, I think that was a perfect fit for Cam. And they're, I think they're a very dangerous team for sure, especially if they play the play the Seahawks that well, who Seahawks I see making a deep run to the playoffs, like I said, or the Super Bowl. If they can play them that well and they're one play away from winning that game, that's that's saying something about Cam and Bill Belichick. And I mean, Belichick's the greatest coach that we've seen in a while, if not all time. He knows how to use his players well. And the supporting cast around Cam, is is good enough to get him to the playoff run or Super Bowl. I mean, you saw it. Cam didn't even really do much this week. They handed the ball off to Rex Burkhead and let him do his thing through to Rex Burkhead. What he had like three TDs, and so it's kind of if 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 the Patriots play their type of ball and now they just have another weapon at quarterback that can run, which you haven't seen because of because Tom Brady was not a runner. It's think they're a legit threat. In the, in the AFC, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you said something that I really enjoyed hearing just now. You said that they have the supporting cast to be able to get it done. And you guys, if you guys listen to my pod, uh, I can't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago or whatever it is, but what I said on the pod was that Tom Brady actually did have weapons when he was with the New England Patriots last season. And everybody was just constantly saying he has no weapons, he has no weapons, and that's why he's not playing good. But guys, that's my point. Is Like Marcelo just said, they do have the supporting cast to get there with Rex Burkhead, uh, James White catching the ball out of the backfield, Sonny Michelle's a high-quality runner. Um, Julian Edelman's second game with Cam Newton, he sets a career high in receiving yards for a game. And it's like he never did that with um, Tom Brady. And so, I mean... Guys, this this idea that Tom Brady had no weapons with, with the New England Patriots last season is just nonsense. Now we see Nikhil Harry coming along, and he's playing good ball for them at receiver. Their O-line is patched up, and they're playing well, opening up lines. And so, or excuse me, opening up holes. And so, guys, I think Cam Newton is 
sort of bringing this Patriots team to new heights offensively, new heights that we haven't seen from the past couple of years with, with Tom Brady. I mean, that's the end of our interview. I, I appreciate Marcelo coming on. I mean, that was awesome. It's it's late his time. It's almost, you know, 7 o'clock his time because he's in uh, the Midwest. So, Mark, I appreciate having you on, man. Thank you so much. Yep, thanks for having me, man. It was a good time. All right, guys, we're reaching the end of our episode here today. But before we get to our off-the-bench MVP, I just want to thank you guys for listening, guys. This is the fifth episode. I've had a number of listeners so far. A number of people have reached out to me, told me they really enjoy the pod so far. So that's been awesome to hear. Guys, if you if you want to just express that, I would love that. Definitely hit me up in the DMs, Instagram, Twitter, text me, whatever it is, call me. Guys, I would really enjoy that. And as well, guys, if you guys have topics, specific um, ideas that you guys want me to talk about on the pod that you guys want me to further expand on, I would love that, guys. That would be awesome. I'm definitely open to doing some different segments that you guys want to hear about. So if you guys have something like that in mind, definitely DM me and let me know what you guys want to hear about on the sixth episode of the Off the Bench podcast. And all right, guys, this is my favorite portion of the pod just about every week is looking into who I want to be the off the bench MVP. But here I have another guy who is in the NBA. If you guys have been paying attention during these playoffs at all, you absolutely know who this player is. He's a member of the Miami Heat. He's a rookie and his name is Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero is a rookie out of Kentucky, and he's been playing amazing ball so far. I think he was just a second-team all-rookie this season, but if he had been playing anything like he had this postseason during the regular season, he'd be easily the rookie of the year. The kid is playing spectacular basketball right now. I believe he's scoring almost 17 points a game in this postseason. Yeah, 16.5 points per game. He's averaging 33 minutes off the bench, and field goal percentage is over 46%. Guys, he had that spectacular Game 4 against the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. He set almost the rookie record with 37 against the Celtics. And guys, the Celtics actually have some good defenders, too, at that guard position. They got Marcus Smart, they got Jalen Brown, uh, Tatum's a decent defender, and some of those other guys that they could throw at Hero but it simply did not matter. He was on that night. He had 37, and he's been on for most of the playoffs so far as well. Guys, he is a spectacular ball player, and um, if I had to guess, I do not think he's going to be coming off the bench much longer in his career. My guess is that he is put into the starting lineup pretty dang soon. My fifth ever off-the-bench MVP is Tyler Hero, and he deserves it. Game one of the NBA Finals is tonight, so I'm excited to watch that ball game. All right, guys, but like I said, if you guys want to reach out, DM me. But otherwise, thank you for listening today to our podcast. Again, special thanks to Marcelo for coming on. I know it ended up being pretty late by the time we wrapped up, so I hope you got some dinner in him. And uh, guys, I, I really appreciate you guys listening, so... You guys have a good one today.